Hey friends, the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Let's Talk Menopause. Let's Talk Menopause does not provide medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions that you may have. What does it feel like to be irritable? <laughs> uh, Tuesday? Uh, yeah. <laughs> My skin is crawling. When I don't get enough sleep. Everything has a problem at that point. It's smaller in comparison to rage. Rage, I would describe it as just seeing red. Red in the face. Physically violent. Out of control. Full-on blinders. Your whole body's on fire. How do you feel after losing your temper? A sense of shame. I say the worst things. Disappointing. I just black out, honestly. I don't lose my temper as much post-menopause. What do you know about the connection between menopause and recurring UTIs. What is UTI? Women tend to have it earlier in their sexual career. Postmenopausal, I believe, have more frequent UTIs. Is that a thing? This is Hello Menopause, a podcast where you'll hear real menopause stories from real people. Whispering behind closed doors? Not here. And we promise it is not just in your head. And you are not alone. I'm your host, Christine McGinnis. And I'm your other host, Robin Gelfenbein. Let's talk menopause. Hey, everyone. At the top of the episode, you heard our menopause on the street segment. Now, for those of you who don't know, this is where I go out on the streets of New York City and ask people all kinds of questions about, you guessed it, menopause. <laughs> I loved the first voice who said, what is it to be irritable? And she was like, ah, oh, Tuesday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be in menopause to know what it's like to be irritable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. And, and see, I think I started out saying like, what does it feel like when you're angry? And then like, I just scale it up from there. It's like yeah. irritable, rage, you know, and people were like, oh, this is media, and they wanted to get in on it, you know? Yeah, I, I felt like as I listened to it, like rage, irritability is a, a big feeling, and rage is an even bigger feeling. And I noticed as people were talking, they were bigger in their language. They talked a little bit louder, and they used <laughs> graphics such as like, you know, I'm seeing red, my face is red, your body's on fire. And then when he came in with, I'm physically violent, you almost feel the progression from irritated to rage. Totally. And then it kind of hurts when people say, how does it feel after you lose your temper? And because that is such a walk of shame, so to speak, the shame and disappointment mm -hmm. and the person who said, I say the worst things. Totally. Yeah. I remember the guy, it was funny to hear it back, was like, I just black out, honestly, which is like, <laughs> sounds like it's total denial. You know, you're like, I, I didn't do how that. does that even happen in your body? <laughs> you know, you're like, that was an out-of-body experience. I take no responsibility. <laughs> yeah. I don't think if he has a partner, I don't think that partner would appreciate Like, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah, could you imagine? He's like, I'm sorry. I just checked out for the last couple of minutes. <laughs> what about yeah. the UTI stuff? That was pretty funny, too. Yeah. I think most people don't make the connection between menopause and urinary issues. And I think mm. maybe a handful of people know what genitourinary syndrome of menopause is. It's a huge word. 
but it's an umbrella term for genital issues, urinary issues, and sexual issues. Things like low libido, painful sex, incontinence, and leaks, which we sort of attribute to just getting older, but it really is because you don't have enough estrogen in your urethra and your vagina for your skin to stay fluid enough. Mm-hmm. And it makes me a little sad because people are resigned to that's just part of old age and I have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that actually isn't the case. So I don't know, it made me sad. And, and for someone to say, what is a UTI? I thought, yeah, well, you are among the lucky <laughs> to not know what that is. Yeah. I mean, you know, this might be TMI, but like, I know what it is, but thankfully I've never experienced <gasps> one. What? Wow. Wow. That's because I've never had sex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that reminded me of the person said, I think that comes earlier in their sexual career. The career was hilarious (laughs) to me. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's easy to laugh, but irritability is the primary symptom for people entering perimenopause. Over 70% of women who are perimenopausal experience more irritability than usual and often rage. And, you know, what isn't a good time can become a good story, but it is a lot to endure. Okay, Robin, let's get on to the show. All right, let's talk turkey about today's guest. We are so excited to have the one and only Bloom UK's Chief Strategy Officer, Samantha Frankel. Samantha is both a member and mentor at Bloom UK, a professional network of women whose mission is to promote equal opportunity within the communications industry. She's also the founder of Bloom M Power, a group dedicated to supporting and empowering women in midlife and beyond. With 20 years of leadership and creative communications experience, Samantha leverages her experience to create equal opportunity and support for women. Please join us as we speak with the amazing and absolutely empowering Samantha Frankel. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Samantha. We are so excited to have you. Of course. Well, thank you uh, so much for having me. Okay. So I have to give you a little little background is that I'm one of the co-founders of this new national nonprofit called Let's Talk Menopause, which was founded with two friends. We've been friends for 35 years, Donna Clawson and Samara Daly. And we were immersed in getting the legal things done to become this nonprofit and it just so deep in all things menopause. And that is when I saw your article in LinkedIn called, Hi, I'm Sam, and I'm perimenopausal. And it made my heart sore. It really did. Because I thought, yes, 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 yes. She's saying all the things that we intend to say. So thank you for coming on the show. Okay, so I was really struck by how you were able to address a serious issue, but in gorgeous writing, you take the spoonful of sugar approach to getting the information down, and especially by making it your story. It made me, maybe not laugh out loud, but I smiled throughout reading it. And I'm going to share a bit of it with our listeners just to get us started. Here we go. I didn't know what perimenopause was until I was deep into it, scrabbling to find myself under a deluge of unpredictable symptoms and wondering daily what the actual fuck was going on, dot, dot, dot. Nobody told me and no one talked about it. Let's start there. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's mad to think that I wrote that back in 2020, actually. I had literally just emerged from said deluge of perimenopausal (laughs) symptoms and I'd started to get a handle on what had just hit me and also the terrible injustice of it all. And I was I was quite angry, really. It was a real gasp moment as well, actually. It was a real kind of take a deep breath and hit post because, uh, you know, I work in advertising, marketing, communications, and, you know, it worships at the font of youth. And then it felt like, dare I do this because literally it's like stamping a, you know, a a sell by date across my forehead. Um, And, you know, is anyone ever going to talk to me again? Or they go, you know, that's Sam, she's, she's perimenopausal. Nobody talks about that. And it was, it was quite interesting, actually, because we had, I had a lot of support from that article from a lot of women. But a lot of it, most of it, I'd say, you know, about 80% of it was into DMs. You know, I'm supporting you on this. I think it's great, but I can't actually possibly come out and, you know, say this out loud because people might think I'm this ancient perimenopausal woman as well. And I think I think that's it, really. It's kind of, you know, I keep saying perimenopause, by the way, and I, I have to say that when I wrote that article, and I, I still find this pretty constantly in, in a lot of the conversations I have with younger women, that that phrase alone is quite a surprise. Most people, you know, I didn't know, I did, I'd never even heard of it. I'd only heard of the menopause. And I literally thought the menopause was something that was way off in the distance. And it's basically what you did before you retired. <laughs> <laughs> One of the messages we want women to hear is that, yes, the average age of menopause is 51. It's not a light switch moment, like, boom, okay, now I'm no longer getting my periods. What we really want to convey, which you've alluded to, is that perimenopause takes years. It's a it's a transition that, if you're lucky, it's only four years. It can go longer than 10. It can go 12 years. So women in their early 40s need to pay attention to the symptoms because that's when, if they are left unaddressed, there's needless suffering. You're suffering because you're not putting the right name on it. I was literally clueless myself. And that I suppose that's what made me angry because I thought, hang on, what has just happened? And, you know, why did nobody tell me about this? You know, so hearing other people's stories was what really helped me when I was utterly losing the plot, uh, which is why I was more than happy to come and talk to you today, because I just think it's, it is the best way to have other people understand listening to real stories is really very important uh, because you can read whatever ever statistic you like but if you are hearing it from another woman um, a lived experience then that that's what makes the difference so yeah so you were talking about storytelling so your story you have also coined as the texas chainsaw Massacre. I mean, Texas Chainsaw Incident. So could you share your story with us? <laughs> well, okay. Basically, I call it the Texas Chainsaw Massacre moment because it was a horrific, quite dramatic, bleeding incident that happened to me. And it happens to women when they're in the perimenopause. And it has, I think it's called menorrhagia or hypermenorrhagia. And it's 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 very, very heavy bleeding. And, and that will happen 
that can happen occasionally or it can happen continuously, as it did in my case, and be quite shocking. And the reason it was quite shocking for me was that I was actually traveling between two countries. So I was coming on my way back from a holiday in Spain and it did result in me being carted off to A&E or, or the ER, as you would call it, and um, promptly put on a drip because my blood count had gone very, very low. But from that point on, I would say that's where my symptoms really stepped up a gear. And I've often termed it um, like PMT or PMS, premenstrual syndrome, um, times a thousand. It was, you know, coming at me from all directions. And I think that's kind of, that's when I got into the eye of the storm of menopause symptoms. And I just thought to myself, where are my sisters in arms? Why are they not talking about this? Why has nobody given me the heads up? It's the stigma that is keeping women silent about it. And it's the silence that's keeping women suffering. A friend of mine actually said it's like, it's like sort of being welcomed into the Illuminati or something. As soon as you actually mention that, you know, you've you've had some kind of perimenopause or symptom, then it's suddenly that, you know, a few other women will pop their heads up and go, oh, come over here and join our secret WhatsApp group. And, you know, we'll, we, where we discuss all these <laughs> terrible things. Absolutely. And thankfully, in the UK, you are miles ahead of the States when it comes to broaching this topic. Um, so thank you. And we're very grateful for that. It's very inspiring. Some progressive companies have now even have menopause policies at work. So first of all, what does it look like? What kind of elements are part of it? In the very basics, it should include the physical attributes. Um, so it might be, you know, simple things like access to opening windows near, near your desk, because hot flushes are a thing. They're not the only thing, but they are a thing. So it's very easy mm -hmm. physical tick box things that can be introduced. But I think it's more the supportive elements around having nominated people that, that women can talk to in safety. So women can feel that they are understood and that this is not, it's destigmatizing. I think there are elements around having regular discussions around this work, as we do about so many other areas of uh, representation. And I think it's, you know, we're getting much, much better at that in the UK uh, in terms of diversity and inclusion. And I think that being able to talk and changing the narrative around this and making it commonplace, having women like yourselves, for instance, come in to speak to an organisation and talk, or like myself, as I have done, um, and talk to organisations about their own experiences, training managers. I mean, that's so important if, you know, because the thing is, something like this doesn't affect just the woman who's going through it. It affects people she works with, people she works for, people who work for her. So aside from very simple physical elements, you know, making sure that there are access to sanitary pads in the toilets, because for those moments that take you completely by surprise, that's what happens in perimenopause. Your monthly period is not regular as clockwork anymore, and anything can happen. So it's, it's a mixture of practicalities around the physical symptoms and then practicalities around understanding. It's normalizing something that is actually normal. It's always been there. And if you want to keep your talent, and if you if you don't want women reducing hours or leaving work because they don't feel 
heard or welcome or listened to or, or frankly too scared to talk to anyone in the workplace, then you will lose the talent that you've invested a lot of money in over the years. So some organisations are actually linking in with healthcare policies, um, but the bare minimum is information, awareness, narrative changing, and let's make the windows open. Oh my gosh, Sam, that is a wealth of information. And I'm going to quote you quoting someone else. (laughs) Because again, in your article that made me so happy, you quoted Times journalist India Knight. And I thought this was such a good way of saying what the problem is with menopause in the workplace. So I'm going to read this. Times journalist India Knight wrote, quote, you can tell your manager or boss you're tired because you were up all night with your baby or period pains or your mental health is especially precarious today. And chances are they'll be sympathetic. There will be a supportive policy and guidelines in place. Say you're unusually forgetful or you're having trouble sleeping because you're going through the menopause and you'll get an awkward wince and maybe a joke about going to sit in the fridge for a bit. End quote. I mean, I loved that quote. She just, you know, oh, go and go and sit in the fridge, love. I mean, it's just so demeaning. And it also reduces what's happening a, it makes it embarrassing immediately. And B, there's many different suggestions on how many symptoms are associated with menopause. And I think it's because it's only really now being very looked at and investigated. And that reduces it completely down to one kind of giggly. And it's just, it's demeaning. You become the brunt of the office joke, right? You yeah. become, people joke about menopause. Like, oh, what are you hot flashing? Or you like it? And, and there's so much more to menopause than having a hot flash. All right. So I want to go back to bleeding because bleeding changes is a very common symptom during perimenopause that a lot of people don't know. And I think before you reach perimenopause, women would guess, oh, your period gets lighter and lighter. And that can often be true. But I love that you're sharing that for a lot of women, and I am also one of them, I had menorrhagia, they get very, very, very heavy, heavy bleeding. And for me, I had both. at the In the early stages of perimenopause, I kept skipping my period. And I was newly married and trying to get pregnant. So I just kept thinking every missed period, I was taking pregnancy test after pregnancy test. But then as I went further along in the transition, then my bleeding got quite heavy. And I, I saw that you referred to them I don't know if this is a British word, as flutters. (laughs) But when I read that, I thought, yes. And I I would call them gushers, where it's just, uh, it's not a normal amount of blood loss. I mean, you know, I've I've been in meetings and thought, I just don't, I don't want to stand up. I don't want to stand up. I want everyone to leave the room before I stand up. Can you imagine? Yes. Yeah, holding, you know, holding your bag in front or behind. I mean, it's just, I always think to myself, if that was happening to men, we wouldn't even be having this podcast because there would be so, Mm -hmm. you know, there would be so many support systems and, you know, ways of uh, working around it. It just, it's shocking that this has happened for so long. And I think the way I've sort of always termed it is that sort of the rave generation grew up and they kind of, you know, there's this, very bolshy, outspoken generation of women who are in the workplace and, you know, 
we're in all, all in our workplaces, but some of them are working in the media and they're actually on screen. Um, and so we're, we're quite lucky over here because we have people like Davina McCall, who's, you know, a big voice, and she's literally just done another program around menopause. The, I have to say, the problem with our new um, high awareness is that we ha- now have a terrible HRT shortage and we have women sort of uh, wow. d- yeah, swapping HRT in, in car parks like they're doing some kind of, you know, dark drug deal. I heard a, heard a story the other day of a woman who'd gone to Spain and she literally pharmacy surfed to get as much HRT to take back with her because our government just didn't even think about it because there were not enough. And so, you know, the awareness is is excellent, but the government need to catch up and get enough stock into the country. And we literally last week we had the government have appointed an HRT czar. You know, it takes a woman. If you need it doing, get a woman to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, it takes a woman to help a woman, apparently. Well, that's <laughs> true. And that actually makes me think of, So you and I, actually the three of us, are huge believers in sharing our stories. And um, I actually have worked in the ad industry, Sam, so I can relate to a lot of what you're sharing. But I also tell true stories from my life on stage all the time. And I absolutely love how you can just connect with other human beings in the most authentic way. Like there's something like literally in your brain that you can learn more from hearing a story than remembering stats. So I wanted to know, like, how did hearing other women's stories about perimenopause and menopause help you? It saved me. It absolutely saved me because I um, read a story that was so similar to my experience. I just cried. That's how I felt reading yours. Oh, really? Oh, that's good. To, not, you know, not that I want you to cry, but I'm, I'm pleased it affected you because... Yeah. I'm sorry that I interrupted you, but that's, that's, it, it was so personal. Yeah. Because, I mean, more than anything, Christine, doesn't it? It, it basically validates you and it validates what you're going through and it validates that you're not losing your mind. I think stories are absolutely essential to passing on this information because as you rightly say Robin it's not you can talk about facts and figures till the cows come home but if you talk about a real life lived experience that is what moves people and if you can identify with that experience that is it validates how you're feeling validates that you exist and that you're not you know, right. you're not alone there's a there's an ad that I am going to share with you a film I'm going to share with you that's just literally been released in the UK and the hashtag at the end of it is no more lonely menopause oh i love it that's what it is that's what it was like for me um that's what it would have been like for so many women like me and i perish to think what it was like for the women before me we have the added you know burden i suppose of experiencing this in the workplace and and historically you probably just suffered on your own at home and you know you weren't necessarily working and maybe you did have more of a community around you because those were the times but I honestly think with most of these things it's a business case that will actually see things change and um 
the value of women in the workplace staying in the workplace and not I mean we, we have something since the pandemic called the great resignation in the UK I'm not sure whether you're experiencing it mm-hmm. over there yeah. we've got a huge talent shortage you know there's been a real kind of reassessment of what work is about and I think it was a McKinsey report actually a recent McKinsey report that said the biggest um, reason for leaving was nothing to do with pay it's 10 times more than pay it's a toxic workplace culture that is causing people to leave their their jobs in the light of the pandemic and within that it's diversity you know a a refusal to take on diversity and, and inclusion to take it seriously and I would put this firmly within the diversity and inclusion and belonging agenda because it's about being comfortable in your workplace and being able to do the role that you're you're there to do yeah all right Sam before we part where can our listeners find out more about you or learn about your work well, the best place to get me from Bloom and Power is um, the Bloom Network, but that is bloomnetwork.uk. So if you look that up, you'll find everything about us there. And within that is Bloom and Power. Then your listeners can find me on, on LinkedIn if they want to. <laughs> they can read that article. Definitely. I also look forward to the spin-offs of Texas Chainsaw Massacre because of all the people who are going to be experiencing, unfortunately, their own version of flooding and... Uh, Gushing. Yes, all, all the things. But thank you so much for being with us. It was an absolute pleasure. Well, Sam is clearly this endless well of amazing menopause information and I just love what they're doing in the UK and how it's like so inspiring and and hopefully motivating for US organizations and human beings to like take the lead on. What did you think? Right. They're a good five to eight years ahead of us Mm -hmm. in beginning to put in place these menopause policies, have it part of HR, have posters widely displayed have a designated person within HR who is there to answer just those issues that you can go to to speak to that person about menopause. And so I think the idea of a menopause policy is still quite new in the United States, and I'm I'm hoping that that will change. I love how you said they're a good like five to eight years. It kind of makes me think of like perimenopause for menopause policies. <laughs> yes, the gateway to getting to the men- the time it takes to transition to being a country that actually treats women's health care. <laughs> That's right. Embrace it. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's interesting to note, like, it's not a sacrifice for companies to put these policies in place. It actually saves money. And I think, you know, we're a capitalist society. It's a good way for us to look at it. It will cost you less if you put these policies in place because healthcare costs are significantly reduced. What also happens when a woman is experiencing these symptoms but feeling the need to show up for work, the research shows that work performance, your employees are not producing in the same way they used to. They are also missing work and taking sick days. And if you have the woman who decides it's too much and she leaves the workforce, it furthers a gender imbalance in the upper echelon within companies. So it would really behoove companies to take a serious look at okay, how can we take these women who have produced so much for us and keep them here? Because you don't want to lose that corporate knowledge. Absolutely. And she talked about the business case. And sadly, I think that's what it takes in order for any change to really happen. I mean, I think it's a combination of that. It's like 
recognizing the bottom line that like mm-hmm. losing this incredible legacy that these women have with an organization in addition to sharing our stories. Like I think that's like the perfect sort of storm yeah. of what needs to happen in order for any kind of like movement to happen in this area. And I love that this all stemmed from her having the bravery to share her story, to put that vulnerable article about being in perimenopause on LinkedIn. Totally. Was so brave. Mm-hmm. And I have to believe that I am not the only one, that I'm among tens of thousands of people who read it and boy, did it speak to me. I love that power of women speaking openly and sharing their stories, which is what this podcast is. Absolutely. And that's like one of the huge keys to like any good story is the vulnerability piece. Right. Because it just makes you that much more relatable and it broadens it and makes it so universal. Yeah. And clearly what she shared resonated with so many people Mm -hmm. and they were DMing her and, you know, probably privately texting her. And at some point, hopefully there will be like live comments on LinkedIn when you're sharing something like that. Yes. So, you know, baby steps, but she she's certainly like done an incredible job like galvanizing a whole yeah. industry and the conversation. So yeah, she's pioneering the power of telling our stories. Amen to that. So you know what? I feel like we can just leave it right there. So thank you all so much for joining us today. We hope you got as much out of this episode as we did. And we'll see you next time. Hey, listeners, if you enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoy recording it, we'd love it if you could help us out. All you have to do is rate and review the show and it will help us reach more listeners. It only takes a minute and it makes a huge difference. It really does. And if you want to follow the show while you're at it, we won't mind. (laughs) No, we won't. And don't forget to tell your friends to check it out too. Our mission at Let's Talk Menopause is to give people the information they need so they can get the health care they deserve. Please visit our website at letstalkmenopause.org for a wealth of menopause information, including a symptoms checklist, information about long-term health risks, how to navigate menopause at work, interviews with health experts, and so much more. A big thank you to Always Discreet for sponsoring this episode of Hello Menopause. Always Discreet, because we deserve better. Hello Menopause is a production from Let's Talk Menopause made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Christine McGinnis. And I'm your host, Robin Gelfenbein. Ina Garkusha is our supervising producer and Alana Herlins is our producer. Laura Boyman and Catherine Devine are our associate producers. Sydney Evans is our dialogue editor and Claire Bidegary Curtis is our sound designer. Hello Menopause was concepted by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pachesnik, and Becca Godwin. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. So check it out.